Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff. My name is Steve Norman, and this is an offering of Winning at Home. Our guest today is Sarah Young. She's a sexual therapy specialist. She's also a marriage therapist with Hope Restored, a marriage intensive experience for couples in crisis. She's been married to Lance for 18 years and has three amazing children. They're pretty great. They are pretty great. Sarah, (laughs) thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Steve. Sarah, last time we just kind of had an overview of the whole big kind of conversation about sex and intimacy and God's design for it. And Mm -hmm. today we want to narrow the focus a little bit to some myths or mistruths or half-truths that couples carry with them into marriage or through marriage about sex and intimacy. How how have you seen some of these myths pop up in your clinical work? Well, Steve, a lot of it for couples is informed by how they grew up in their family system, what they watched between their own parents, what they watched in culture, unfortunately, what they watched in Hollywood. So a lot of people come in believing a lot of things that just aren't true or are skewed or are even a couple degrees off from the truth, but really keep them in places that are stuck or get them frustrated or disappointed or have them come in with unrealistic expectations. And so to debunk those can be really helpful. So let's go ahead and jump into the list. What, what would you say is the most dominant myth that couples tend to struggle with? The biggest one is definitely that sex is going to be simple easy, uncomplicated, consistent. That's just not the case. There's so many factors that come into play with how I'm showing up in the bedroom with myself, with my spouse. Life happens and derails us, gets us in the weeds, gets us spinning out. And um, sex can be easy and connecting and great, but it can also be really complex based on what we're facing in life. What are some of the damages or the consequences of buying into that myth? Steve, some of the damage that does is it really just brings me in with some skewed expectations for what the experience is going to be, how my spouse is supposed to show up, how I'm supposed to show up, what this is supposed to look like every time, what climax is supposed to be. And it can just get me stuck spinning out in a lot of misplaced expectations and honestly, a lot of misplaced responsibility for for where I'm uh, invited to take ownership for, for my part in the experience. It seems like if we buy into that myth that it's supposed to be easy and it's not easy, then maybe some of the next unfortunate conclusions are something's wrong with sex in general or something's wrong with you or something's wrong with me. Exactly. And any of those variations can be really damaging if you follow that path too far. So much so. That cultivates a lot of that shame that we talked about last time. Something's wrong with sex. Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with my spouse. Culture screams at us that everybody else is having amazing sex. Hollywood screams at us that this is supposed to be easy and erotic and sensual every time. And that's just that's just not life. Sometimes sex is as mundane as doing the laundry. It's it's just it, it's good. It, it's not over the top every single time. That's just not life. So to couples who have been struggling for either a season or maybe their entire marriage with either no sex as a result of sex being frustrating Mm -hmm. or unpleasant sex as just sex that people are settling for because it's not easy. What what do you say to people who need a reset or a reboot? So there's that place where I invite them to trade out that self-judgment or spouse judgment for some curiosity. And can I look at what's really going on here past my disappointment? Because if I just settle into my disappointment or settle into resignation of, okay, well, I guess this is as good as it gets. That's going to be unsatisfying. And like we said last time, God wants more for us. So practically, 
This is a conversation that happens around the dining room table with a glass of iced tea, not in the bedroom during, before, or after when we're naked and either anxious or frustrated, but just sitting down and hopefully uh, feeling safe enough together to have a conversation of, okay, what has been disappointing? What isn't working? Where are we stuck? And even talking to a, a counselor or somebody that they really trust of, hey, is this normal? Or pulling out a, a book. A couple of my favorites are Celebration of Sex by Doug Rosenau. I love The New Married Sex by Gary Thomas and Deborah Faleda. I love those. Just speaking some truth into it and that people aren't alone when they are coming in with expectations that leave them disappointed when they're coming in and bump into struggles and um, just don't know how to get unstuck. There, there are ways to scooch toward healthier, scooch toward more connecting, scooch toward it feeling like less of a frustrating thing. When you identify obstacles with couples, what are some of the issues that are most common that make sex difficult? Is Are they physical issues? Are they life stage issues? Are they busyness issues, mental health issues? What what do you tend to see as some of the common factors? Yes, 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 and yes. Okay. It's, it's all of the things. Uh, it's going to be different for every couple. Some of the physical realities are um, th- things as, I, I don't want to say things as simple as, but things as normal as. Uh, aging, body shifting, medical issues. Sometimes for some of us, there's pelvic pain. Sometimes for some of us, there are erectile issues. Or sometimes we find ourselves a big physical change, like post-mastectomy or post-prostectomy, post-hysterectomy. And how do we find a new normal? And sometimes it can just feel so so big and so shameful when there are these big shifts. There are the big physical changes, but there are the the smaller, more chronic ones too, like fatigue, exhaustion. Um, and speaking of life stage issues, those of us that have little kids running around and we feel like there's hardly time to take a breath, let alone a shower. Um, so for me to shift from parent into spouse and lover, um, that can oftentimes be a big sell. Emotional and mental health issues for sure. If we're Uh, wrestling with anxiety, depression, that's going to really impact how my body kicks in, how my heart kicks in, whether or not I can be present in the experience. Sometimes I'm just spinning out in, in, in the stress or I'm really trying to just come up for air out of the darkness when I'm in those emotionally difficult spots. Um, some of that mental clutter, the stress, the busyness, uh, absolutely. Uh, it, it can feel like another thing on the to-do list when Oh, okay, we have to have sex. And oftentimes when it is kind of a, well, let's just knock this off the list, you know, check the box. Um, we show up with our bodies, but not our, our whole person, right? I kind of show up with my body and there's a risk of checking my head and my heart at the door. And that's not a sustainable way to interact sexually. So um, those absolutely play into sex is going to be easy. And then all these components uh, contribute to making it not, making it complicated. And then there's a discussion about frequency because some of us have higher desire than others. You know, stereotypically, uh, uh, culture will tell us that men have higher desire than women. That's not always the case. That can absolutely be the opposite too, where women have the higher drive and men don't necessarily. And having those conversations in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of all the things, it, it can be really challenging. And then the frequency piece where maybe one of us is wanting it five times a week and the other is wanting it one time a week or one time a month and how do we navigate that conversation um, and then that taps into some of those deeper soul issues into 
okay, my identity as a man, I, it's really validated and connected with when we, when we engage sexually. And then if we're not able to show up there together, what does that mean about me? Or for a woman, if I'm not pursued, what does that mean about me? And it just gets us all kinds of complicated. Um, so it really is uh, a lot of issues tangled up together. It's never just one. But it sounds like one gift that couples could give themselves in the midst of this conversation is grace. Yes. Just to be able to say, if it's not always easy, we can give ourselves permission to be curious. Yep. And permission to be patient. Yes. And permission to persevere. So that's amazing. What that requires is that I show up as an adult in the bedroom. Um, that can be challenging for a lot of us. You know, adult meaning I'm taking responsibility for myself, my behaviors and actions, my feelings, my thoughts, my beliefs about, about sex, about our relationship, about all that. I'm, I'm owning that. When I put that off on my spouse uh, in the vein of, well, you need to fix this for me or you need to show up in this way so that I can fill in the blank, when there's that misplaced responsibility, um, we're, we're going to get tangled. It's, it's going to be really challenging to be gracious, to cultivate a, a place of safety, to have some of these really vulnerable conversations, to, to give grace, to receive grace. Um, so me showing up as a grown-up, um, that's really important to be able to cultivate conversations, let alone healing. That's great. Sarah, what's another myth on your list that, that has surfaced over the years? Another one has to do with the big O that goes along with sex, if you will. And one of my professors, uh, when I was doing my sex therapy training, said, you know, sex is never about orgasms. That is not the big O. And culture pushes this, uh, this little buzz at the end of the experience as the be-all, end-all of, of sexual connection. And the big O has always been about oneness, it's not about orgasms. It's about oneness. And a lot of attention is given to, are those happening? Are they not? Um, and yeah, that's a component to talk about because that's a really beautiful component for couples to be able to enjoy together. And there's an element of surrender when I can, when I can experience that release with my spouse. Um, but but it, is a, it is a piece, not the piece. Um, so when people miss that and think it's just about reaching that point of release, feeling that connection, feeling the the stress relief, the dopamine, all those things that climactic release provides. Um, again, that's a piece, but the oneness and the connection in that is huge. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more later with one of our episodes on all the realms of intimacy that are that are beyond just sex. Um, but particularly with insects, a lot of focus is given to the orgasm, uh, much more so than is needed. Gotcha. All right. So what's another one? Another one. I will always be in the mood, or my spouse should always be in the mood. We talked about that busyness. We talked about all the components that make it complicated. Uh, that can throw a wet blanket over that drive for sexual connection. Here's the thing about mood, right? Uh, for men, uh, desire is right up front. It, they can tap into it oftentimes a lot more quickly than women can. For women, desire is often receptive. We get going with connection, um, with, with some sexual touch, and, and then sometimes my body kicks in, my emotions kick in. I think, oh, this was a good idea. Um, but people miss that reality about desire, um, and, and that can lead into that question of, well, what's wrong with you? Or, well, what's wrong with me? But it's really, really normal, especially when we have all these other components going on in life that, that don't keep it at the top of the to-do list. 
No, that's fair. What's another one? You know, I think culture has some big myths about sex and aging that, um, man, as we go through life and when we're empty nesters, that sex is eventually just kind of kind of going to fade out. Deborah says it great in The Married Sex, but it's going to fizzle out. That's not necessarily the case. And there's something I read in that book that I just absolutely love. I want to bring it uh, forward because I think it's I, I haven't heard it described in this way. Gary talks about how when you get a Lego set, you know, you build it. Um, and then a lot of people just leave the, the completed Millennium Falcon or whatever the beautiful Lego creation is, leave it on the shelf. But he talks about, no, you, you got to keep taking that apart and rebuilding it. And maybe this time, you know, the antennas will be in a different spot and the lights will be in a different spot. Or maybe the doors have opened before and they won't open this time. I love that picture because the duration of the sexual journey for a husband and wife it is not going to be the same. And that's life, right? Things are constantly changing. So to assume that our sex life would be any different, whew, that's, that's going to keep us stuck. Every new phase that I, that I bump into as a woman, Sarah at 20, pre-babies, that's different than Sarah in the mid-30s with um, different pieces of body of my body looking different and post giving birth to three little ones to Sarah currently in mid-40s perimenopausal and my body uh, throwing me for a loop with some different things and cycles being different. It's going to be different when I'm going through menopause and after. And for men too, you know, suddenly there's a day when the erection doesn't hold and they think, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. A lot of times there's panic there for men of life is over and then anxiety comes and hijacks and maybe I just stop engaging because I don't want to be faced with the, the reality that my, um, my genitals might not cooperate in the way they have in the past. But sexual peak, uh, it, it was written once, it, it, that's hit in the 20s, but man, my making love peak, that is a ways into my relationship with my spouse. When we have done life and matured and connected and have um, have a lot of experiences to base safety off of and confidence off of. If I'm lacking in any of those realms, it's to my benefit to get some help processing that so that I can show up wanting to connect and risk trying something different. So safety in those conversations, I can't stress it enough, Steve, that one of the one of the biggest myths is that this is embarrassing to talk about. Uh, uh, maybe for some of us that feels very, very true. However, the myth there that, well, we shouldn't talk about it. Uh, we're going to smush those parts of our bodies together and then never talk about it. That's a big tragedy for us if we don't. So to be able to develop this skill, the discipline even, of talking about our intimate life in the same way hopefully we're talking about who's going to drive the kids to soccer, who's going to uh, make dinner tonight, how are we doing with our finances, just looping it in with that, that reality of necessary conversations. Because um, as we move through life, we want to be very intentional in staying away from that fizzling out. So Steve, having sex and making love those are two really different things. And I think that plays into a lot of what we talked about with, I need to show up as an adult and sex can only get better. And I think it was Christopher McCluskey, he wrote this book, When Two Become One. He said, you know, Christians have the opportunity to have the greatest sex lives on the planet. I hear that and on one side I roll my eyes. On the other, I think, wow, what's that about? And that connects to so much of what we talked about in our last episode of because there's this backdrop of God and all of the life and truth and symbolism he wants to breathe into it. But making love, showing up with all of me naked and unashamed, not only my body, but my head, 
my heart, my soul, my spirit. And naked and unashamed, you know, the sex is oftentimes just a byproduct of the rest of those realms of I want to be known and I want to know you there. Um, so sex, that could be just two bodies showing up and that can just be biology and plumbing. But making love, there is a richness to that that is worth putting the time into. And it sounds like that kind of circles back to what you were talking about earlier about oneness being the goal because it's possible yep. for people to be physically, biologically one, but maybe not emotionally, spiritually bound and united in the same time. Yeah. Sometimes sex is an avenue to get there. Okay. I heard it once that the way to get to a man's head and heart is through his pants. The okay. way to get to a woman's pants is through her head and heart. No, as as shallow and incomplete as that example is, sex can be an avenue to those levels of connection. But if it's the only place I'll start with as a doorway, uh, I, I'm missing some other stuff. Okay. Steve, I think a myth that women in particular bump into has everything to do with body image. And we know that the enemy has come in with things like pornography and just hijacked the expectation of what the female form is supposed to look like. You know, when we slow down with Song of Solomon, Scripture speaks really, um, really intentional to this. And Solomon is so... Just captivated. He's so captivated, and he will let her know. And he's really intentional with naming specific parts of her body. He's naming um, his enjoyment of those parts. And I think women, you know, we talked about that shame. Women have a hard time receiving that uh, when their husbands are, are vocal about their beauty because we have been so wired to be self-critical, to look at from every angle why we're not enough, why the cellulite over here and my breasts that look like, you know, fried eggs hanging from nails because I've nursed four babies, all, all the things, all the ways that I don't measure up. The one of the things that I bump into with women is the myth that I have to hide. It has to be dark. I have to be under the covers to let him look feels very threatening. And the, the truth is that, you know, a, a lot of men are, are visually wired. And to let him feast on the beauty that is the wife's body, that can be a really risky but really beautiful thing. For women to have a renewed confidence in the gift that their body is, and their greatest sex organ is not between their legs, it's between their ears. Some of those places of confidence, and that they, the truth being, that they can walk in confidence, almost scandalous confidence, if you will, because it goes so against what culture tells me I'm invited to do or not do. What have been some tools and practices that you've seen couples, not just women, but couples, mm -hmm. utilize together to maybe clear that hurdle or find a way around that particular obstacle? Sure. One of the biggest things I tell couples first is to sit on the end of, of the bed and pray. Genuinely, just inviting God to be that third party in the room. Um, and then hit going to the dining room table and <laughs> starting to have a safer conversation. And that can be around a lot of different realms. Um, to debunk some of these myths, uh, they need to have the courage and the safety to be honest with one another about um, some things that contribute to their sense of desire in the bedroom and maybe some things that take away from it. Um, and maybe that's in the bedroom or maybe that's outside the bedroom. So, for example, for a husband, if he hasn't felt uh, seen all day, if he's felt like the to-do list or the kids, all that is more important, um, 
yeah, that might be uh, really disconnecting for him. Or for the wife, if she feels like all touch uh, is sexual touch, there's not affectionate touch or um, just connecting touch, if a hug always has to mean something else, yeah, just being able to have some conversations uh, about some of those things. Or maybe it's something as simple as, hey, can we have our teeth brushed before we're in the bedroom together? Or, hey, when you... Uh, you know, lick behind my ear. That's not a thing for me. Um, so just being able to enter into conversations around it. For some people, that's that's really foreign and they don't have the language to, to talk about this. So I, I sometimes recommend that couples will buy a, a book on intimacy. There are so many great ones out there. We mentioned the one from Gary Thomas, the one from Doug Rosenau. There's great ones by Kevin Lehman, Sheet Music. There's, there's all kinds of good ones. And just reading a book about sex out loud together. Um, it can feel really goofy and really clunky and awkward at first, but if, if there can be, um, yeah, some just shared experience around this in, in the embarrassment, it, it can start to cultivate a, a common language and a connection that, that can be really helpful and help launch them past some stuck places. So this has been great, and I love that it kind of circles back to where you started at the beginning, which is that the primary myth is that it's supposed to be easy. Mm. And if it's easy, then you don't have to talk about it. And if it's easy, then you don't have to work at it. If it's easy, you don't have to reframe expectations. Mm -hmm. But because it's not easy, it opens a door to be able to say, like, not only is it important to have these conversations, but mm -hmm. it's natural and it's necessary. Yes, it's natural and necessary. So very much so. So if we can feel empowered to have language, to have safety – to have these conversations because if I come in judgy with my husband that conversation is probably not going to go well but if I can be curious about what's going on for him if I cannot personalize it that not all of it is about me and I'm not you know the problem the absolute problem because uh, particularly us women we, we tend to do that well maybe I'll just speak for myself I tend to do that so if I can come in safe and curious honest calm we might really get somewhere differently if we can show up that way together two adults caring for one another, loving, really wanting to invest in all those dimensions of connection, um, it could really move in a different direction. Sarah, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate the conversation and can't wait for you to join us again. Thank you, Steve. You've been listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff, a podcast of winning at home. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.